and welcome to The Back Page, a video games podcast. I'm Sam Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how is the newly rebranded Intermezzo Sandwich Shop, or Intermezzo, as we've uh, been saying on Discord? Actually, no, I forgot to put that joke in the message at the end. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but in my head. I mean, um, that would have landed great on Discord, so... <laughs> Yeah, actually, it would be better written down than said aloud, some might say. Um, yeah. But one of our favourite sandwich shops in Bath has reopened. Um, what's the deal? Because you did send me some messages. I know it's early days, but how's it how's it all going for you? Um, very early days. It's no longer Intermezzo. It's, I, I couldn't quite catch the name because it's not written on the store yet. That's how early days it is. But I think it's called Carter and Perry or Piri. Mm-hmm. So it's got a bit more of a sophisticated name. The something and something feels like you should be making suits, not sandwiches. Right, um, yeah. As a rule. But that's that's okay. And they don't really have like a menu at the moment. So it's kind of like you go in and just sort of point to what you want. And that's not re- like the, the pleasure of Intermezzo, as many people will know from listening to this podcast, is that you go in and you know tony the sandwich artisan has a lot of recipes that he's mastered over years he knows the the right amount of everything for a well-balanced sandwich and i don't i don't want to be responsible for like my own chaotic sandwich you know i'm i'm paying for him to take on that responsibility (laughs) yeah to solve that problem for you yeah (laughs) Yeah. um you don't want to be there thinking i'm gonna try you know avocado uh you know boiled egg and then like you know (laughs) smoked salmon today and see how it goes um yeah put put a bit of barbecue sauce on that like it's not the kind of the sort of like task you want you you want also you'd think that they'd stick with the winners right the classic chicken caesar the sort of um the yeah Caribbean I, I, Club or whatever it was called. <laughs> I think they I think they probably will. They just haven't got round to printing out menus. I mean this was literally the first day that they opened. Mm. Like there's a hole in the wall. That's how like raw it is. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> not, not, a hole, hole. <laughs> not a hole in the wall they serve sandwiches out of. Like a No, no, know. like just a huge like someone's punched a huge chunk out of the wall or something. Um, maybe, maybe it was Tony on his way out, just like you know. <laughs> Just headbutted it. Leave my um, mark on the place, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, early days yet, but I, I think I'm. I think I'm going to give it a little time to like bed in. Probably avoid it for the time being, and then see see how it's doing. You know, once it's once it's properly up and running. You want to get yourself down to the whole bagel and get yourself a uh, um, classic smoked salmon and cream oh, cheese. I'm, I'm addicted to my meal deal at the cake cafe. Oh. The notoriously stale baguettes. <laughs> Did we talk about that on the podcast already? Yeah, we've 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 mentioned it. <laughs> well, what a surprise! Um, yeah, that's funny. I forgot about that. Do they still like have a problem with you going? It? Well, okay, there's Not no really, problem, but... but you know, there was like, wasn't there an expression that you come in here too often and take advantage of this too often, something like that? Uh, no, I was worried there was a slight hint of that. The problem there is there are so many elements of the meal deal that it feels like you're giving them quite a long list, and it's quite, I don't know if they know that you're going for a meal deal until they kind of put it into the till but now i've been in there enough that they're like oh it's a meal deal guy so we've kind of over that initial hump Mm. okay good well there you go there's the (laughs) matthew castle sandwich update um i also have to ask matthew you did tweet last night at the time we're recording this that your trousers fell down at a divine comedy concert and I have to ask, what happened? We have to have the whole story told on this podcast. That's what, what? the listeners expect at this point. Your tweets just... turn into full <laughs> narratives. So it was at the Bath Forum, which is famous uh, for hosting 
future corporate meetings where they tell us how badly shares were were doing in like 2007. <laughs> I love you say famous for that, like world renowned. Um... Well, for me it was. I associate the forum with going and and hearing the management of future telling me things were dire, and uh, also going to see the Divine Comedy. Mm. So, you know, this was much more preferable, apart from the trousers incident. Um, I basically, very boring, I slipped down in my seat, and so when I then pulled myself back into the seat, um, I my jeans were maybe a little loose, and the jeans got stuck on the chair, and I slipped out of them. Um, <laughs> but my ass slipped out of my jeans, basically. I was fine <laughs> on the front, but behind, it was a disaster. Uh, and luckily, there was no back... There was no like hole at the back of the seat, so it wasn't like anyone could see behind. But mm. it did mean that I was like trapped in the seat because if I stood up, it was just so obvious. You know, I could just feel where the jeans were sitting, like <laughs> b- below the cheek. <laughs> 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 um, and yeah. um, every time their lights dipped between songs, I was like, "I'm going to jump up and pull my trousers up." <laughs> but they, all the all the transitions were too quick. They were like. God damn that that stage crew is really on top of things. <laughs> <laughs> like I wish their roadie was a little slower, because then yeah. I wouldn't have been embarrassed. When I went to, I last went to a work party. Um, I wore uh, a suit, um, my suit pre-pandemic suit, and you know, surprise, surprise, my fat ass is even fatter after the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but basically, like the trousers now, I kind of have to like lower myself onto a chair when I'm wearing my suit. Otherwise, like, um, the chances of something ripping are very, very high. And also, like, when I sat down for, like, for like dinner, I could feel that my trousers were, like, at least halfway down my ass. And luckily, I have, like, a, a long um, suit jacket to kind of cover up the sort of um, right. any kind of embarrassment. But also, I was very conscious that I can't take my suit jacket off ever or, like, someone <laughs> someone's going to see my underpants here. And I was in front of, like... <laughs> hundreds of my colleagues and i thought okay this is this is tough so i've been there you know large men large asses you know trousers it's like it's it's fucking tough out there man you know it's hard it's hard for the big ass yeah big ass of us well there you Um, go so six minutes of nonsense that i'm sure some listeners rolled their eyes at probably sick of this shit by now but you know (laughs) for people listening at home um we are supported on patreon.com slash backpage pod where you can back us at two different tiers, the £4.50 XL tier or whatever it is in your local currency, um, plus taxes. That unlocks uh, two bonus podcasts from us a month. Uh, this month, um, that is May 2022. We've already done one, um, which is, uh, why have I forgotten it? 20 Xbox backwards compatible games worth revisiting. That was a good episode. Um, awesome. So, yep, a, Beatle, a really bad Beatles impression there by me that goes brummy. <laughs> that was good. And then um, uh, the Marvel uh, MCU movies ranked is our second um, episode of the month for bonus uh, bonus podcast XXL episode. Um, so if you want to back us on Patreon, that's the hard sell done. That's that box ticked, and um, we can move on. So this episode's all about Star Wars games. So with the Obi Wan series um, landing on Disney Plus starting on May twenty seventh, it's time for one of three Star Wars episodes we have planned this year. And um, um, by planned, I mean that I've inflicted on Matthew. Um, another one uh, about games best Star Wars games will drop towards the end of this year and an XXL episode um, for patrons uh, on the films and the shows is coming in September this year On uh, that's on our schedule but this episode is all about the guilty pleasure Star Wars games so the exact um, meaning of that phrase will 
we'll discuss um, shortly, I'm sure. But basically, this isn't like the worst Star Wars games as such, but I realise when breaking down a list of like the best Star Wars games, and I would say that the list of best Star Wars games is pretty obvious, there are so many I have some affection for, or I think are worth discussing, that cannot be called best, and this episode is essentially where they live. So Matthew, how do you feel about this episode idea, and um, the whole kind of Star Wars situation? Yeah, and it's tricky because I was looking at your list of what you'd included in this episode and then I had some other games I was thinking about and then that that weren't on the list and I genuinely struggled to work out like, are they not on this list because they're best or because they're not even a guilty pleasure, they're that bad? Um, I think there's a very, I I think we're talking about a very thin line between some (laughs) of these categorizations. Yeah. Um, I I would also say like Star Wars is like very much your domain. Mm-hmm. I don't have the same emotional connection to it that many of my peers seem to have, and uh, yeah, like I was impressed by by how many things you've listed for this episode. I was like, oh well, you've you've gone, you know, you have pretty broad experience with a lot of stuff. Where I've played a fair few, but I've not actively sought out. Um, many things beyond what like ngc told me was good (laughs) yeah so it's funny because i think that the thing with star wars is and i understand this the longer i've kind of like been alive and seen star wars kind of like keep going and going and going um with films now uh, comic books tv shows and you know now very elaborate live action tv shows on disney plus is that a kind of like a strain of mediocrity is kind of like what star wars has become like everything orbits kind of mediocrity mediocrity seems to be the base and then like there are kind of like dips and troughs they're like peaks and troughs from that so stuff can still be great but i would say the baseline of star wars stuff isn't necessarily terrific it's always kind of like muddled it's always obsessed with old films and trying to build out elements from old films there's a current thing where like basically bad old prequel stuff has been sort of rehabilitated by Dave Filoni who's like a creative overseer works in the Mandalorian and the Clone Wars animated series which is very well regarded and so I think in in that kind of tangle of mediocrity you can find some really interesting stuff and I think that games is kind of where that applies also where Mm. there's just such a volume of content that the stuff you get out of it is quite interesting and it's not it's not always bad sometimes it's bad um sometimes it's really bad but sometimes you just get lots of interesting, odd 6 or 7 out of 10 kind of games. And I suppose that's what this episode is. It's celebrating these, which I have a lot of experience with. So, mm. Matthew, I will ask, what is your personal history with Star Wars games? Like, um, how much of a big part of uh, your life were they? Because you're a Nintendo player, and Star Wars has a pretty good history on Nintendo up until a certain point. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of it is like, I wasn't a big Star Wars kid. Um, I know we're not really talking about the the films particularly here, but, um, you know, I saw them when I was a kid and didn't really like them. I wasn't really interested in Star Wars at at a young age. So I I haven't I didn't have the burning desire to to play video games based on them, which I think a lot of people had. And so, I, you know, even though there were probably interesting things happening, like the Super Star Wars games on the SNES, I know very like well regarded. You know, I wasn't like actively seeking those things out. Um, 
like I'd say my relationship with Star Wars games is kind of the critically acclaimed ones I've I have actively sought out and played and then maybe around the edges some like weird stuff have have slipped in there was there's one exception with all this which is and I I I was really racking my brain today as to why this happened but in 2005 when I was at university I bought the Revenge of the Sith action game on PS2 right okay uh, as in the one that came, it came out just before Revenge of the Sith, and I'm not a Star Wars guy as I've as I've uh, established, but I I think I had some like vague Revenge of the Sith mania, like maybe I bought into that some hype or I got really excited that this was going to be some big you know amazing thing, and I think you know a lot of people did buy in, into like hype, and even though we'd been through this cycle twice with Phantom Menace and um, Attack of the Clones, but you know. There was this thing, and you could, it came out just before the film, but it had like a lot of the film footage in it, and I, I, you know, it doesn't add up. Like I'm not a big enough Star Wars head to have bought it for that reason, but I'm that must have been the reason because it hadn't been reviewed. Like I bought it on the day it came out, mm. um, like a full price Star Wars game, um, and yeah. So like, I have. Like whatever, like the the mania that must have gripped you many a time to justify some of the purchases of the games which we're going to talk about, definitely has gotten to me once or twice. But otherwise, like I basically bought, you know, I bought them because they were like ninety percent rated. You know, like I bought them because, you know, Rogue Leader was highly rated. I bought, you know, Jedi Knight Two because it was highly rated. Rather, you know, Knights of the Old Republic. You know, rather, you know, not because they were Star Wars things, just because they were good games. Yeah. So for me, uh, Star Wars games, I, I've been like a fundamental part of my gaming diet forever. Um, mm. One of the first games I ever owned was X-Wing on PC. The family uh, uh, PC, the Windows 3 point whatever PC, uh, got um, a CD-ROM drive just to play it. I um, hadn't even seen Star Wars when my dad bought me that game. And um, it was way too hard for me, to be honest, playing a flight simulator game when I was like eight or something. Yeah. Um, too tricky. But to be honest, that did um, that did spark my sort of like early Star Wars made. It hit me at just the right age. It hit me before, just before the special edition films came out in 97, um, Star mm. Wars and Mania. And so, and just when we had a PC that was powerful enough to play a lot of like the major Star Wars games from um, around that time. So... Pete, I had probably more Star Wars games than other types of games at the time. Um, mm. Like I played, I had Dark. We had Dark Forces. I think we were X Wing, Dark Forces, um, Shadows of the Empire, Dark Forces Two, Jedi Knight, um, Rogue Squadron. Uh, I think we had X Wing Alliance at a certain point. Um, okay. Star Wars Racer, The Phantom Menace. My dad had like a pirated disc that had a lot of these on them actually. But um, <laughs> uh, so another another kind of like um, mark against my dad for the cops listening out there. Um, <laughs> the man who bought me GTA Three uh, when I was thirteen. So yeah, like um, they were like I had you know you don't have loads of games as a kid, but by the time I was like twelve, I had all these Star Wars games and I would just play these over and over again. And so they're a huge part of my life for sure. So I've always had like. A fascination with Star Wars games, the, the different weird kind of phases of them. There are like there are what you would call golden ages of um, Star Wars games, but even in those golden ages, there's like some complete dog shit, yeah, and some stuff that's just okay, and that's would kind of weird, s- you know. Would you say Star Wars games are your favorite bit of the Star Wars media universe? I think that I think it's still the original trilogy. Um, okay, you, the, the film you you are into the films. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. That, those are kind of like the the two core texts for me of like these are these are the gold standard of Star Wars um, in terms of storytelling, universe building, pacing, editing, all that stuff. Like, oh, you know, so much of what I love about Star Wars kind of derives from that. So that's why actually when. Um, you were wowed, wowed by the editing as a child, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was wowed by the editing as an adult. Actually, like it's not a, there's not a single scene in Empire Strikes Back that doesn't move the plot forward. It's um, it's right. really amazing when you watch it back. Like Star Wars is really well edited too, but um, there's uh, just the pacing of Empire Strikes Back is is breathless and amazingly done. So bummer yeah. of an ending. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, the biggest shock I had rewatching them recently is I I just really didn't like Return of the Jedi at all. I thought it was quite terrible actually. Um, oh, that's the that's the one of the original trilogy I do like. <laughs> really? Wow. Well, Cause it's the one which has got the most Jedi stuff in it. Yeah, I mean, I like Luke Sky. You know, Luke Skywalker's rad black costume and his robot hand and his green <laughs> lightsaber. That's that's cool. But um, the Ewok stuff is complete dog shit, and they don't know what yeah. to do with Han Solo in the second half. You know, I've, I've not seen him for a long time. I'm sort of dreading having to rewatch all of them actually for the um, <laughs> when we do the Star Wars uh, oh. XXL episode, but. Yeah, gosh, and also I'll I'm take gonna... I'll take that hit for the for that <laughs> Patreon scratch. Well, the the important thing to kind of like tap into there is that Star Wars, like I'm a big I'm a big '90s Star Wars person, right? That shapes a lot of what I've kind of put in this list, which is right. that like I lived in the deprived Star Wars times. I lived in the times where like after um, the Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy had come out, which kind of sparked interest in Star Wars again, kind of gave it a bit of momentum, like these three books that were basically the sequels to the films. Um, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. There's um there's a couple of elements in them that are a little bit strange, kind of eyebrow raising in terms of how they do clones and stuff. But Thrawn is a good character and it is I can see why people got excited about Star Wars after that. And so a lot of the games from the 90s, what I liked about them is that they weren't infected by all of the prequel trilogy bullshit. They were all just like using the three films as their kind of source text, basically. Right. So all the iconography um, is is built from that. A lot of the kind of tropes they take from is built from that. The style of dialogue, it's kind of like more fun and funny Star Wars. Um, mm. And it's obviously the spaceships are cooler as well. Like um, there's some cool spaceships in the prequels. There's some really talented, obviously incredibly talented artists at Lucas Arts. Sorry, Lucasfilm. But um, yeah, ninety Star Wars shapes it for me. It was that the games came in and filled the gaps where there weren't films and where there right. weren't TV shows. Like if I'd have grown up watching the Clone Wars cartoon, I'm sure I would have absolutely loved it. But I didn't. I grew up way before that. So. I grew up like mm. reading novels by like Kevin J. Anderson and stuff. And so um, Star Wars games were like there to extend my interest in it at a time where the prequels didn't even exist, you know? So that's kind of my relationship with Star Wars. Everything I like is sort of framed through that. So mm. um, games performed a really important purpose because they were, you know, closer to a film than anything else you could get at the time because there was no. Yeah. Y- yeah, there was nothing else. So that's kind of my angle on Star Wars, Matthew. I hope that's. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's in- interesting to know. Because, uh, yeah, I know you have affection for them, but I didn't know how deep it went. Yeah, for sure. It was just like, it's really kind of tied intrinsically to PC gaming for me as well, like Star Wars. Mm. Like, oh, that, that's the other thing, is the reason I've got such capacity for Star Wars, like, bullshit, I guess, is that, uh, to me, Star Wars games are a subgenre. Like, they're not like other licenses in that way. <laughs> right. I, th- I see it as an entire subgenre of games, essentially. Like, there are about as many Star Wars games as there are, like big budget rts games or whatever like there's not um mm. there's just so many of them and so and, and i find them 
I find all the different takes on it very interesting. And it's linked to the fact that, like, you know, LucasArts was obviously like a developer publisher. They were like George Lucas's own company and made video games. And that's mm. there's no compar there's no comparison point to that in the games industry elsewhere. Like they own the license, they built the stuff based on it, and they they had had a certain quality control that makes yeah. And if if you compare it to like the the mysterious absence of Marvel video games, given mm. that it's like the dominant pop culture force of the 21st century, it's just such a different like landscape. Yeah. And it's weird because Marvel games seem to be a harder sell as well. Like they're basing mm. uh, Star Wars games are just are culturally embedded in a way that I don't think Marvel games are. Um, it's going to be a bigger uphill battle, I think, to get people interested in those because they're competing mm. with the films. Whereas the games are always designed to like live alongside the films. Um, mm. They told side stories or they directly adapted them, but they didn't recast the actors or things like that. Like because they were in a, they were in like a pre. They were pre sort of like elaborate cutscenes and voice acting and stuff. They just didn't, they're not from that age. So I think that when a Star Wars game comes along now and tells a side story, uh, like um, Jedi Fallen Order does with Cal Kestis, for example, who's not a character from the films or the TV shows, people are open to it because Star Wars games have always been doing that. They've always been telling mm. side stories. Do you know what I mean? So, whereas if you replace quote-unquote, the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Avengers, maybe that's not as easy to sell to people, you know? So um, mm. it's tough, well, no matter how... Provably so. Yeah, I mean, you know, no matter how good the game is, and that Guardians game is fantastic. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of like um, where I'm at with Star Wars games, Matthew. I have, like, an endless fascination with them, but I was really curious how you felt about the oncoming wave of new Star Wars games, because in 2013, EA signed this reportedly 10-year exclusivity deal to make Star Wars games, it's made a few. It's made a mobile game I've never played. It's made two Battlefront games and Jedi Fallen Order and Squadrons. Um, so four games in 10 years. It's not loads, um, but the batting average is like reasonably high, I would say, for what they did make. Um, so now the license seems to be going to almost anyone who pitches the right thing. So obviously you've got Quantic Dream making Star Wars Eclipse, this game set in the High Republic era. You have a, a full-blown remake of Knights of the Old Republic from A Spear coming to ps5 and pc um and then like some kind of ubisoft thing and loads of rumored other games besides probably more i'm kind of missing there um a jedi fallen order sequel an XCOM style game these are all things we know are in development i was curious what you make of that upcoming wave is there anything in there you get excited about or or to you is it all a bit terminal you'd rather see those developers making other stuff oh no i mean it's 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 a perfectly fine license to work in i mean it's full of love enough like iconic stuff that i'm into you know I'm, I'm happy to see people mess around with lightsabers and i'm happy to hear you know see those worlds and that that art style and the thing i guess that's kind of interesting and the thing i don't know a huge amount about is like how they manage star wars these days because you know with you know the, the films there was sort of a a sort of reset of sorts didn't they kind of kick out a lot of like expanded universe stuff and now with the tv shows as well there's like a, a bit more kind of like uh, stri- it feels like there's kind of some strict editorial control over like what star wars is in the way that there is with marvel and i'm kind of interested if the character of the games made under that era you know have any of that to them too like are they going to be part of that are they going to sit to the side i mean technically fallen order was made in this era of new star wars and you know seemed to just slot in quite neatly but i guess that's sort of like vaguely interesting to me (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's a it is a, a good point because, like you say, there was a reset when Disney bought uh, Star Wars and Lucasfilm. They basically everything that wasn't the Clone Wars cartoon or uh, the films they just chucked out and said that's not canon anymore and started again. And now they have this. I think they called the Story Group at Lucasfilm. And they oversee all this stuff, work with developers to to make this stuff fit. Um, so, yeah, the idea is there are keepers of the keys to this stuff, so no one can like mm. uh, drop a moon on Chewbacca, which is a thing I think that happened in one of the books and like uh, the, before <laughs> distant times. So tough break for Chewbacca. Uh, <laughs> you see, that, now that is something I would like to see in a platinum. Game. <laughs> that is the end of a platinum game: is you drop a moon on Chewbacca by mashing <laughs> X for five minutes. Definitely. Now sign me up. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess the one that uh, I'm interested in is is like the Amy Hennig thing, whatever that ends up being. Mm. Um, like her sensibility in terms of, you know, Uncharted is Indiana Jones. I would be interested to see what how she kind of plays with that sort of the the more kind of adventurous sort of daring do kind of uh, element of Star Wars. But mm. like so little is known about it. You know, I'd just like her to be able to make more games, really, because it's been a long time. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm curious about the Quantic Dream thing. I guess. I mean, it's kind of the trailer was kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah you know. I think the truth is, we'll never be drowning in these games either, because they take so long to make now on the scale that Star Wars games get made on. You're looking at three to four years per mm. per project, and. Um, also, like I think that uh, I think a lot of the games that have been revealed are earlier on than maybe we realise they are. Like, I would be surprised if a lot, if anything, other than the Jedi Fallen Order sequel was coming out in the next two years. I would say uh, mm. maybe maybe you'll see one other game from that, but I, I don't anticipate seeing like five games in the next two years. For example, I don't think that's where they're at yet. So. I think it'll be a steady build-up, which I think is is fine. Like I still I still think Star Wars games like two a year would be fine for me. I think, but uh, I don't I can't see it exceeding. I can't see there being more Star Wars games than there are like Disney Plus shows. That seems unlikely to me. So it'll mm. still be staggered. Yeah. So a good bit of uh, sort of like um, background Star Wars chatter there, Matthew. But um, something I've put in our plan here is um, what differentiates a Star Wars guilty pleasure game from an outright good or bad one. And I wanted to fire some examples at you of like actual bad ones because listeners might remember the first Games Court episode. I bought Masters of Terrace Cassie on PS One, <laughs> the um, the fighting game, and I finally got round to playing it for the first time like about, about two weeks ago, and it was fucking awful. <laughs> like you had to press it. It was like Han Solo fighting Boba Fett and like punching him, and then gets a gun out in the most like awful feeling combat. And the cheap, cheap ass kind of presentation, like around the around the edges, just a real kind of like cash in on the success of Tekken fighting game that is like, frankly, like you know, it's a fighting game in that style. It's not Star Wars is not fit for that purpose, really. Is it is it sort of is Tekken the kind of model for it? Because I, I, like I've never played it. Like I've, I I have I have no feel for like what kind of fighting game it even is, really. Yeah, I think it is trying to be Tekken, but it's it was right. like it's really like ropey to control and just like quite uh, just hard work. And then it's just just again they're like you're like oh well Han Solo doesn't have his gun out, but by default, and it's like no, you have to pull a button, press a button for him to get his gun out in order for him to use his gun in the battle. And I was just there thinking like this doesn't work at all. It's like a fighting game. It feels like. <laughs> a prototype that has a full roster of characters but they didn't develop the game properly and so it's 
it's rightly hated. So that game is bad and like is not in my it's not in my little list of guilty pleasures. Um, <laughs> likewise, um, the Phantom you, you could make a good Star Wars fighting game. Like, like, do you think if you gave it to like Nether Realm to sort of do what they did with like Injustice, say, do you think you like really glamorous, like high production values, or well, do you think like just the nature of like the range of characters in that world, like it just you know Han Solo versus a guy with a lightsaber is never going to make sense? I think that style of fight game will never make sense, but I think like the the route to go down with this, and we have seen this before, is a great Jedi dueling game. Like, that's what you do instead of, like, a beat-em-up. You don't try and, like, retrofit Star Wars into, like, a Tekken or Street Fighter. Mm. You, like, make it 3D, one-to-one sword combat. That's what uh, Jedi Academy and Jedi Outcast did so well on PC. That's the mm. best best I've ever seen lightsaber duels done well. In the middle of, like, um, a sort of multiplayer map, you two players could, like, enter, a, a, like, a secluded dueling space, essentially, and then have a lightsaber battle. And like there was a proper like feeling of a clash of blades. You get these moments where um, the blades like um, are sort of like uh, sort of meet, and you have to kind of like out sort of like you know use strength to beat your opponent. You're throwing force powers at them, and like that's what a fighting game looks like in the through the Star Wars prism. If you get what I mean, um, mm. so it can happen. But yeah, Masters of Terrace Castle, just a real kind of mystery. But still, um, there is a reference to it in um, uh, Solo, which is quite fun. I think that says a lot about the. Um, is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Amelia Clark's character references Terrace Carsey, the martial art. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's quite. I thought that was quite a nice touch. That says a lot about the um, the sons of uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who whichever son wrote uh, Solo with him. I think that's that's <laughs> a big big millennial energy to that uh, reference. I would say. Um, another bad one here. I've got here, Matthew, is uh, the Phantom Menace game on PS One. Do you ever play that one? Uh, no, but I. I... Yeah, I, I remember it being around at the time, and maybe like having a bit of interest because it was, you know, there was a one for PC as well, right? Yeah, it's the same game, but uh, the PC one like looked and sounded a lot nicer. It was like a much crisper looking thing. Um, I played this actually for a, an OPM feature in 2015. I got commissioned to write about this, and I bought a copy of eBay and played it, and it's horrible. This is really, really bad. Um, <laughs> like it's it's not just the fact that it's episode one; it's the the lightsaber combat and then sort of like the way that the setting is realized in this very cheap kind of boxy environment so i just i just hated it um that's, it's really bad um, that's that actually yeah. reminded me late justification for why i bought that revenge of the sith game right um in my head i thought it was going to be like ea's lord of the rings games mm. I thought it was right. going to be like a really high quality because, you know, I only had the box to go on in the shop <laughs> and it looked, you know, like quite authentic character models. I thought it was going to have a similar energy and I think you could make a game with a similar energy. And it, to be honest, it plays much the same. It's like a beat up, but it's just it's just very bad, very flat and you're just chopping up endless drones. Um, so I feel like I should I'm, I feel like I've got to try and get back into people's good books after that bizarre <laughs> purchase. That's a proper game score. Uh, entry right there well this is a good segue matthew into a larger a larger point i have about star wars games so uh, one of the big problems i had with the phantom menace game right is that like i had played these games like jedi knight like dark forces um like rogue squadron and i always i could never figure out how could the same publisher developer make both jedi knight and the phantom menace like, right. how could you have a have a company that understands how to make a like a, a proper like high end first person shooter and lightsaber game, then make a really shit lightsaber game for consoles? Like, that 
is what is really confusing about the Star Wars uh, back catalogue that you have, Masters of Terrace Kasi coming out alongside the X-Wing series. It's like, there's like wonderful, there's like extraordinarily good taste um, and great game design going on there. <laughs> and then there's like total dog shit alongside it. And it's all from the same company. And like, yeah. you can argue that like there are loads of different developers who work on this stuff. Some of this stuff is made externally, all that sort of thing. But like Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy, those both came out like just a, a two or three years before um, before that Revenge of the Sith game you're talking about. So mm. why don't why did lessons get learned? That's what I find so strange about Star Wars games. Like why why would you have the same company make a great game and a shit game in the same genre? Because you saw this over and over yeah. again with Star Wars. It's re- really weird, right? I mean, you can you can. You, you maybe wonder, like you say, that there's so many of these games. Like it's such an industry unto itself that maybe, you know, there are just there are just you know there are just so many different people handling different parts of it, and so the character of the games can be massively, and the cat and the quality of the games can uh, uh, differ massively. Like like I know this doesn't quite make sense with the Terrace Cassie, but um, definitely with like the film adaptations. Like maybe things get a bit like. A little bit shaky or things are a little bit problematic the closer you get to like the core texts in a way you mm. know maybe there are there are there are more stakeholders like making a film adaptation than say another entry about a spin-off character who's never been in a film you know maybe there is just like there are certain you know yeah like in any company there are the crown jewels and people tend to be more protective and there tends to be more meddling around them and it almost lets people kind of do more interesting stuff like out of the spotlight and even though they were massive games you know the fact that they aren't film games maybe protects them from some of that i mean that's total speculation but like that would speak to the character of many companies and how you know they behave (laughs) I guess so, I, but I, I almost like, I, I guess we're both kind of guessing at this here, but I almost envisioned it being the other way around, where the games that got the attention were those side story games, and were those kind of like games that existed as franchises yeah. upon themselves, where I think that the absurd time frames of making a film and like um, probably led to rush development, like we saw, so, the rest of the reason there were so many bad licensed games is because... They would have either shaky materials to build the the, the, the game from. They didn't have yeah. enough time to develop the game. That seems more plausible to me, that it was just like, this is what we could make with the time we had. Um, mm. But yeah, you're right. Like, um, you know, none of those games. I think some people quite like the Clone Wars game on um, that Pandemic made for um, Xbox and GameCube. I must confess, I've not played that one. Weirdly, it's one of the only games, Star Wars games, original Xbox games, that has the frame rate boost, so you can go play Attack of the Clones at 60 FPS if you want to. What a treat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I never played that Revenge of the Sith game, but I got the impression it was a big seller because they, like, they came out before the film, and people were like, well, I want to see what happens. So yeah, my yeah. friend Andrew bought it, and he said it was shit as well, and I was like, oh, it's weird that this game that was really bad just seemed to get into loads of homes, you know? It just made me laugh that the game I bought before that was Resident Evil 4. <laughs> so like to go from like Resident Evil 4 to that as purchases, like I was at university. What was I doing? Spending <laughs> probably 40 quid on a day one Revenge of the Sith. Like I just, I genuinely was gripped by mania. I, so I, had this, I remember I bought the, I had the soundtrack to Revenge of the Sith before it came out just because I really liked John Williams' music. And I think that's more easily to just, you know, you can justify that. But, um, yeah, that that game, that is a puzzler. Um, 
<laughs> it was made by the people who made Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, which was good. Oh, okay, so it was like an outsourced thing. It wasn't made by yeah, like LucasArts. Yeah, I think yeah. they're called The Collective. Um, mm. It was quite funny, actually. I was looking up the Phantom Menace game uh, for PlayStation to see who made it, because I didn't know if it was made in-house or not. And it was made by a company called Big Ape Productions. And I thought, I have not heard, you know, these people can't surely be, be going. And so I typed in a um, Google search for them. And the first thing that comes up is a, um, like a, Wik- <laughs> is a, a Wikipedia that's dedicated to scary logos. Right. Like companies with scary logos. Right. Um, and Big Apes made the cut because the sound of a, it plays the sound of an ape roaring. And it's too loud, according <laughs> to this Wikipedia. <laughs> uh. Uh, I just like that's your legacy is that someone was like <laughs> your logo it was too much <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me that like anytime a game gave me the fear it was when that old Activision spinning logo used to go and that logo had frame rate problems like that was like when that animation had frame rate problems which I think true crime New York City did have right. like fr- <laughs> like could not run that logo without it like dropping frames I thought oh god <laughs> Um, that's that's got to be on scary logos wiki (laughs) (laughs) oh that's really funny so what did you learn anything about big ape games from that matthew uh no because i once i found that scary logos thing i just went down a rabbit hole of what else they considered scary logos (laughs) so i i gave up my search for big ape you thought i've got my pod anecdote we can move on uh, basically i wrote it in my notes i was like (laughs) talk about the scary wiki logo because I don't have as much to offer on Star Wars as you, so I've got to take my wins where I can get them in this episode. That's fine. I, I mean, you are here to crack wise, my friend, and that's like perfectly <laughs> fine. And uh, offer occasional insight, like me with the Kirby episode, you know, or the <laughs> yeah, Zelda episode, nice. yeah. or the Phoenix Wright episode, you know. So to further firm up my criteria here, Matthew, because I want people to kind of understand what I mean by guilty pleasure games. I'm not saying these games are bad. I'm not saying these games are great either. Most of them are like six or seven out of tens, I would say. There's the kind of like commonalities between games in this list. They some of them stretch continuity to breaking point, which I think pushes them into guilty pleasure territory. They're like preposterous Star Wars stories that you could see why Lucasfilm would get rid of them when Disney bought them and stuff and, and start right. again. Um, so there's a bit of implausibility to them. There's uh, some that like borrow another game's template but shit the bed slightly with that template. Um, that's right. another thing where it's like capitalizing on a trend but not really making it work um Mm. and there are some games that i've like marked down just because they're set during the prequel trilogy and i find that kind (laughs) of a bummer um and but like um there's something i love about all of these games or something i like about all these games there's definitely like a sort of fluctuating sort of like um enjoyment i get from the different ones which i I will like differentiate the ones that i really like when we talk about them but Mm. generally yeah it's 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 weird like i'm i'm kind of obsessed with these these star wars games because i don't know they were just such a big part of my life at different points for various reasons and so because i have that fundamental fascination with star wars games these just these mean a lot and i feel like i've got interesting things to say about them so do you think that works the criteria am i too vague there i I think so i'm I'm interested if at the time like if if these opinions are the opinions you held originally or like if if there was as a younger fan there was like more of a wow factor to some of these that's maybe called in time yeah but i guess we can get to that as as we talk through some of them because yeah some of some of these things i remember like coming out originally and and just being thoroughly unimpressed when friends had them and were into them <laughs> and i thought oh the difference is they may be into star wars and i'm not like maybe that 
that fills in a few like important cracks or gets you over a like a vital hurdle with these things yeah maybe i think the other thing to like that i i sort of i like to underline is that i don't feel like i can talk about the best star wars games without setting the kind of like um framework of these star wars games to understand like my sort right. of criteria the style best star wars games episode is like a project to me that's like a thing i've got to like properly kind of build up to it's like mario uh, so matthew ranking the mario games it's just oh, yeah. like yeah it's, that's a lot it's my me. personal back page everest <laughs> I think that's like uh, we wait for the next mainline Mario game before we do that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So you've got another three or four years on your hands, I reckon, pal. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so Matthew, that's pretty much all I've got to say about the um, what the guilty pleasure element is. Is there anything else you want to discuss in the Star Wars games front, or should we take a quick break and come back with the uh, me cataloging my guilty pleasure Star Wars games? Yeah, let's get to your guilty pleasures. I want to hear about them. All right. back to the podcast so in this section i'm going to catalog my guilty pleasure games matthew's going to sort of like ask questions like a psychiatrist would why did you play this what were you thinking in 2002 etc um that's absolutely fine like i say the, the list here is not ordered in any way it's just a collection of stuff some some of the stuff is modern a lot of this stuff is old um i will provide a justification for why i like each one and why i think each one is also kind of rough or flawed so um, yeah, I, like I say, I'll point out when there's a proper Hall of Famer here. There's like a couple on this list I really love, so um, I look forward to discussing those. But Matthew, let's kick off with um, 2008 Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Now, this game, I think, did come up briefly on Best Games of 2008. It wouldn't have made the list, of course. But um, this was a lavish but clumsy attempt at making a Star Wars God of War in the old God of War format, pre-Dad um, um, and Son God of War. Um, with wacky physics it was absolutely loaded with um tech you had like havoc physics uh euphoria physics and digital molecular matter for like interaction of objects explosions or some bullshit i didn't really understand it when i was reading about it but what it adds up to is a game where you play as darth vader's secret apprentice uh star killer you go around basically being his agent um going like behind enemy lines and hunting down jedi for him at a certain point in the story um your character kind of has like a, an epiphany um uh, realizes that they're essentially like in an abusive relationship with vader <laughs> not in any kind of like real real world sort of way but like yeah <laughs> um, basically the start of the game vader kills your father in front of you and then you you be- he becomes your sur- surrogate father um and it goes it goes too far by suggesting that this star killer guy helps to co-found the rebel alliance i think it overplays its hand with the story um but that's it is good, interesting. Though. Go on, Matthew. I was to say that's it. That, I think that I think that story bit is kind of. I remember that being quite cool at the time. I was like, oh, that's actually like quite a major bit of Star Wars something that they've handed to this game to like tell. I thought. Yeah, but it's just too much to like create this. Uh, the character becomes a bit sort of Mary Sue-ish, I think, where it's like, right, w- we've created basically Dark Luke Skywalker, who's like a secret spy guy. Um, who goes around on his cool spaceship taking out Jedi for Darth Vader um, as his secret apprentice. And then he goes on to found the Rebel Alliance. Like, it's a bit too much of a stretch, I think. 
Um, yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's but, interesting to hear that as a Star Wars fan. Like, as a non-Star Wars fan, I was like, oh, that, uh, like, I'm literally thinking, oh, that was cool. Like, I think I gave <laughs> it, like, a good, sc- I reviewed it for someone. Maybe Games Master? I think I probably gave, I think they've scored something on, I don't know, story ability or something. <laughs> <laughs> and probably said, well, yes, it's a major chapter in Star Wars lore and gave it a pass. <laughs> One of like <laughs> one of eighteen different review bars in that magazine, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah so it, it's like, that, but like the, I am saying that in retrospect because at the time I did think this was a, like a really good little slice of Star Wars, and like playing again this week for the um, the podcast, like I did think actually this was like it was motion captured cutscenes, a really like competently presented bit of Star Wars at a time where you didn't think there were going to be more films. So like, mm. why not fill in the story gaps because? No one else is going to. And truthfully, you know, we'll get to this when we do the XXL episode, but not a massive Rogue One guy. And so I'm not totally convinced that, like, the Disney version of the Star Wars universe has filled in any of these gaps with any more elegance. Um, right. But, like, I, I, I do I do very much think that Sam Witwer does a good job bringing this character to life. Obviously, Sam Witwer, who also plays the main guy in Days Gone. Add a little pop uh, reviewers on Reddit though, so I'm not uh, not massive on him after seeing that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it kind of like the, the the ending with um, the kind of lightsaber fight with Vader and the Emperor being there is really nicely done. Um, they got a really good like Vader and um, sound alike for this, and Sam Witwer also portrays the Emperor actually quite commonly portrays the Emperor and Darth Maul in various Star Wars projects. He's a very talented voice actor. Um, yeah. And so this is this game's got real scope to it, um, and some and like very 2008 in the sense that it's got a lot of QTEs. That's what I forgot playing this back. Yeah, it's like the no, the, obviously the notorious one is pulling down the star destroyer, which is shit. Um, it, I, yeah. I just I didn't understand it. I thought it was actually broken. The the, the instruction it gives you on the screen is yeah. super hazy, and. It was going. It was meant to be like the signature, yeah, set piece of the entire game. And when I got to it, I was like, "This is a disaster, <laughs> awful." I just, I, I think I got stuck in it for like hours. Couldn't work out what I was doing wrong. Yeah, I know someone who tried playing. Said with a mouse and keyboard, this sequence is literally impossible, and I can believe it because <laughs> it is like very, very slowly bringing down a star destroyer. The whole yeah, point that's of this, it, cause it, yeah, you're like dragging it down, but like. Yeah, Platinum would not would not be happy with this QTE. This <laughs> wouldn't have happened on Cameo's watch. <laughs> Ryder would have sliced that fucking Star Destroyer in half, and then like, yeah, it would have just like broken half perfectly. Um, yeah, so it's um, it's like the whole thing with this though was they were like, well, this is the Force Unleashed. That is the intent of the game, right there. It's like we're showing the Force like it's never been shown before in a way that only games can sort of like do and and in that respect it does offer that it adds up to quite messy feeling levels i think where there's just a few too many objects flying around and it's a bit like a bit blurry to play now but it is fun and distinctive like it is it does separate it from anything else from the time just like you know obviously everyone remembers vader killing wookies at the start but stuff like you know pulling out pulling (laughs) down i'd imagine that i was gonna say this is this the one with vader like the tutorial is just like throwing around physics enabled wookies. <laughs> yeah, that is the tutorial. There is like a br- <laughs> there is like a bri- a wonky a wobbly bridge where lots of wookies cross over and you just fire a force push at that wobbly bridge. It goes bananas, starts flipping up and down and wookies are just all over the shop and it's just <laughs> and the the noises are just ridiculous. Um so yeah, that that is in there. Um and then yeah, like yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's a little bit front loaded. Like you, the physics are fun at first. It is fun at first to yeah. pull down a Tie Fighter and throw stuff around. Then I, it becomes that, a bit repetitive. 
I, I think that, that's 100% my problem with this, is that, like, all the physics and all the fun of it, like, after a couple of levels, they're like, well, if we just let you chew through everything easily, it's not really a game, so we'll start introducing enemies who are, like, force-resistant, or environments where there isn't stuff you manipulate and throw around, and all of a sudden, like, the selling point of this game, they never managed to marry to, like, a difficulty curve, so they just sort of abandoned the pitch of the game, and then it becomes just quite a dry slog in the second half i'd say i would say so i also think i have a a slight problem i have with star wars games as well is games where they say you get to play as the baddie but then they renege and they're like nah actually you're a good guy and it's about a redemption arc and it's like yeah you know that's what star wars does but also it is quite fun the idea of playing as a bad guy so maybe lean into Mm -hmm. it more um and because I, this kind of goes on that arc, I think it's... Uh, they do it well, but I, I I don't know. I like being evil. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I I had a... Have I told the, the story about meeting the producer of this? No, no. Go ahead. Uh, maybe you have, actually. Um, well, is this I'll where do you... a, a, very, a very quick version where yeah. it was a guy called Hayden Blackman. He he went on to do the, the, the Hangar 13, the Mafia team. I think he recently left it, like maybe in the last week or so. Yeah. Um, and one of the big things around the Force Unleashed was that, like, it was a it was an approved bit of Star Wars lore. Like George Lucas had had a hand in it, and so I asked him like what that process was. I was like, did George Lucas kind of write this? And I think there'd also been some chatter that there was some like this wasn't necessarily the game they set out to make. Like they had some other concepts to begin with. Like maybe even one where you played as a Wookiee. Or yeah. something. There was and a Darth Maul game, I believe, as well. Yeah. yeah. So they, yeah, and he basically said, you know, we pitch all these stories to George Lucas, and then he tells us whether or not they happened in the Star Wars universe. Is how he sort of framed it. Right. So they're like, they go to George Lucas and say, George, did Darth Vader have a secret apprentice um, who he hired to, you know? And George Lucas is like. Yeah, he did actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is what happened. And they're like, brilliant. We managed to like, you know, like guess what George Lucas wanted, as if like all this lore is in his head. And I just thought it was the most preposterous thing I'd ever <laughs> heard. This idea that you had to sort of somehow tune in to this lore, and it's just like it's you're just making it up as he goes along. <laughs> That's complete nonsense. Now, obviously, you met hayden blackman and you can sort of speak to that but like the book rogue leaders um the history of lucas for uh, lucas arts um does more frame it as like basically they had to pitch him a star wars game they went through countless ideas and logos and stuff and that was just the one that in these operation george meetings i believe they called them internally um <laughs> that was the one idea that, it, that clicked with him but you know, I do like the idea that like you have to guess what someone thinks they imagined is like a <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was I think that they were framing it not as like this is crazy, but more like this is how official it is. Right, it's right, like right. yes, it is absolutely approved. Like, but he didn't come. They were basically saying like he came up with it, but he didn't come up with it. We came up with it, and I remember yeah. thinking that was so one of the most baffling statements I'd heard in an interview, and it really stuck with me. But you know. yeah. I kind of like a memory I have from the time is that like this is the same year that Clone Wars film came out and the Clone Wars cartoon started. Um, I went and saw that Clone Wars film with my my little brother and that actually massively put me off it because I thought it was terrible Um, and really (laughs) kiddie. And The Force Unleashed by comparison was like the level of maturity in terms of storytelling I like from Star Wars. Like I don't like stuff that panders to, to children. Um, mm. But also, I accept that Star Wars can be for children. That's the thing I never quite got about those cartoons: is when they're a little bit more 
Sesame Street about teamwork and stuff. I'm sort of right. there. Th- I'm there thinking, well, Star Wars is already for kids, so what are we doing here? And like, right, that's yeah. that's why when I've watched some of these languid early Clone Wars cartoons, I've bounced off them massively because they they're pandering to even younger kids sometimes. And like, I know that people say it gets really good and dark later on, <laughs> but the Force Unleashed uh, felt more like the complete package of Star Wars to me when it arrived. Right. Um, I hope that makes I'm sense. I'm very suspicious of peers who tell me to watch <laughs> those cartoons. I'm well, always like, hmm. Okay, that, that's uh, that's twenty patrons lost right there. That's oh, good. Unless you're a patron of this podcast, <laughs> like you can you can like what you like. I haven't even watched it. What do I know? <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the Force Unleashed. I think um, it's a bit blurry to play now. Um, there's some some sections look fine, some look blurry as fuck. But um, you can buy this on um, Xbox backwards compatible um, store. Uh, the DLCs are sold separately. I don't get that. Anymore. I'm not paying eight quid for like. To, to play the alternate universe where you go uh, scenarios where you go into the Hoth base and kill Obi Wan Kenobi and stuff. That's um, I'm not doing that. But still, it's <laughs> nice that you can play this quite easily on modern platforms. Um, it's on PC as well. Um, so next up, Matthew is the Force Unleashed Two, an even worse and shorter version of the last game we discussed. <laughs> um, so why do I put this in here? This is the game I finished three times. I think I told this story best games of 2010. I sort of had a rough end. So 2010 was a rough year, and it ended with like <laughs> me just sat with a full suitcase meaning to like get on a train at like 10 30 a.m go home and see my parents at christmas and i ended up getting like a 9 30 p.m train and i just sat there and played the force unleashed 2 all day what's kind of a bummer about this is like this is like probably a five out of ten this is like borderline guilty pleasure it's like yeah but it is slightly better as a combat game than the force unleashed it looks a bit nicer it doesn't actually have the blurriness the first one has for whatever reason maybe they refine their engine or something but it's super short it doesn't have many levels it recycles the levels it does have it has like two camino levels camino being the the clone plant um or whatever um that's the other kind of cardinal sin of this game you play a cloned version of the main character spoiler alert that main character died at the end of the first game um so you're playing a clone who's got like i don't know sort of has like some of the memories of his past self and it's just (laughs) quite rough but i do think that if you're buying if you're going to play the first one you might as well play this too because i don't know you do sort of see there are some marginal improvements that i think kind of make it worthwhile and it still looks super lavish has a pointless bit where he meets yoda um still like but yeah the cutscenes still look really nice i think sam whitwer is really good um but yes less defensible than the first one any thoughts mm. on this one matthew yeah i completely agree it's got quite a good like big monster fighting arena a kind of god of warry kind of boss where you kind of take down different bits of its limbs if i remember mm. correctly yeah um that is the weird like, bump. What's That's... here is fine. It's just, it's just fuck all here is the problem. Yeah, I was reading that like this was made in like nine months or something. Like it was. Yeah, I felt it was super, super quick turnaround. Um... I, think it, I think it sucks because the first one feels like it maybe had like that feels like a game that took years to make because you yeah. saw that you saw that Indiana Jones physics demo and like they were talking about that um, the Force Unleashed like way before. I think they like properly took their time with that one and then with this one it was like well we've only really got time to build two levels and to improve the combat a bit you know so uh, uh yeah. I, too few games use the euphoria physics which is like where they hold on to each other and like bodies act you know act in a realistic manner i always like that that's all, you always get a bonus point for having that yeah the weird thing is is it natural motion who developed them i think yeah I believe that they now are making a Star Wars game on mobile, so that's um, that's uh, things come back around. I hope I it's the stormtroopers falling downstairs endlessly. 
That's what I, that's what I want from them. That is the other thing about this game. There's a lot of like um, people flopping over quite easily in these games, but um, yeah, they sure are fun. Um, so yeah, the second one not as good as the first, but they kind of go as a pair there, Matthew. Um, next up, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. Now, your Samuel Roberts in 1998. The thing you want more than anything else is a Star Wars RTS. Um, Lucas, uh, that's, Lucas, that's that's what you wanted more than anything else. Yes, more than anything else. Uh, like in terms of games, yes. Well, I wanted no, an N64. Of, I thought you were like life goals. <laughs> well, I wanted an N64, and like I thought it was going to be a lawyer one day. But like those are the th- those are the two <laughs> things. But like, but you'd settle for a Star Wars RTS. <laughs> yep, and one one would roll along uh, very soon. It was called Star Wars Force Commander. In screenshots in uh, PC Gamer, it looked fucking amazing. When it arrived, it was abysmal. Um, really slow, really boring. Somehow just completely shat the bed. I remember playing it and being quite crestfallen. Um, at the same time, I was like massively into Age of Empires and Red Alert. I was playing Age of Empires thinking, why isn't there a Star Wars version of this? Um, be careful what you wish for, my friend, because they made one. It's called Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. It had an expansion called the Clone Campaigns that um, came out around Episode 2 time. It is basically a mod of Age of Empires 2 that replaces everything in that game with like Star Wars units. And while that should that should have been like spot on, it actually it's too transparently a mod for Age of Empires 2. Right. Like you ba- you still have the four forms of currency and so you have like these little worker droids going around and like farming carbon, quote unquote, from what are basically space trees. And, like, it feels very un-Star Wars. And you're building these little houses and stuff. And it's it just doesn't quite feel right. Um, Like, yeah, harvesting these four types of currency. And, like, instead of, like, the finding... In Age of Empires, you'd find, like, wild sheep roaming around. And you'd basically, like, you'd kill them. And then you'd get, like, meat in order to, you know, keep building new units. Here, they replace animals with, like, banthers. Uh, But the animals are still in it. They're just, like, replaced with other things. And, like, it's really, really off. But the other weird thing is that, like, you build, like... Let's say you build, like, a squad of X-Wings. You're like, okay, cool, I've built some X-Wings. I'll send them into battle. They move like they're catapults in Age of Empires. They politely get in a line and then very slowly move towards, like, the enemy lines. And it's like, all these units are behaving like they are, like, you know, basically sort of, like, pre-20th century warfare. And, like... like Age of Empires doesn't have any aerial combat, right? No, 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 it doesn't. So, right. yeah. But these there are loads of aerial units in this. There's, like, <laughs> loads of variants of X-Wings and TIE Fighters and stuff. That's the other thing. Some of, them, some of them look quite Star Wars and are inspired by different bits of the universe. Other ones look like, where well, we had to make a, a, a different variant of the Y-Wing to fill, fill, bulk out the unit count. So this one's got slightly shorter engines or something. And it kind of just looks like someone built them wrong. And like right. it's very, it's very, like so many of the units look very un-Star Wars. You get these, unti- it, yeah. Go on. Does it have walkers in it? Yeah, it does. And like they look pretty cool. Like they're animated pretty well, but it just doesn't look or, or feel like Star Wars when it's moving because yeah. you'll send a whole army towards like their base, and like I say, they will all move like they're in Age of Empires. So they'll get into like a, a very tight formation, <laughs> and then they will move at the the sl- They'll be very very slowly as a group towards the base and there's no tension to it no excitement um but there's still something about having that and i mean the exact template of age of empires with star wars in it and like 
has some fun stuff like um the scenario editor from um from age of empires is in here so you can basically build your own battles that you want to see so yesterday right. i spent quite a long time just like dumping on a big grass field like fucking like a hundred walkers like a hundred tie fighters like 15 count dooku's <laughs> and then like on the other end being like I'll oh, just fucking put, yeah, eight Luke Skywalkers, four Mara Jades. Yeah, that's a good deep cut. Fucking, <laughs> like, you know, Wedge Antilles, all this shit. Like, chucking it all in there and then and then just basically like ants in a jar that you shake, just watching them fucking fight it except, out. Except half the ants are Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite hard to recommend. The campaign's probably better than, like, this isn't like Age of Empires where you can. I think you can enjoy the skirmish mode that much. I think you just need to follow the the vague plot of the films via the maps they've made in the story mode in order to enjoy this. But is, is it is it like events from the film? Like, are you playing like the classic film battles? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And they've built maps that correspond to that. Um, some of them really do just feel like Age of Empires maps, so that they're stuck on. Like, it's a bit weird just being on a a big field of grass when you've got like eighty eighty. So I can't explain why. Just. It, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. Um, I'm guessing you never played this. Because it sounds like it covers everything. It covers everything except for episode three because it predates that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted a great Star Wars RTS. I got this. I bought it, and even at the time, I wasn't like mega obsessed with it because I'd already played fucking tons of Age of Empires two. This was the same game, and it wasn't quite <laughs> as good as it seemed in my imagination. So um, yeah. But um, a, f- a few years later would come along um, Star Wars Empire at War from Petroglyph, which is a much better game. That can be saved for best Star Wars games, Matthew. Okay. So, mm, t- a teaser, a taster of what's to come. So, Matthew, to pick up a conversation we had earlier today, um, you asked me about Episode 1 Racer um, mm. and whether that should be in this episode. So why don't you tell me about your experience with that game? Because it leads us, leads us nicely into my next one. Uh, so, yeah, we had it on N64. Um yeah, we bought it. I mean, hilariously, the, the, before we bought it, we saw it in a shop, and it, um, <laughs> our mum was with us, and she kind of um, humoured us by sort of saying, we were like, look at that, look at Star Wars Episode Racer, that's good. And she was like, oh yeah, that looks really nice. Which me and my brother were then like, maybe she wants it for Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, <Wow. so> we, <laughs> we were like... We didn't get uh, episode one racer for, for <laughs> Mother's Day, I should add. But it always tickles me that in our heads we were like, "Yeah, this could happen." Like this is this is our route to getting this game is that we buy it for Mum for Mother's Day. <laughs> she wants it so much. And <laughs> when she was just politely humouring you, yeah, um, she just yeah. saw it once in a shop and was probably just trying to get us to shut up. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, we bought it. Um, Again, I it, like it didn't review. It wasn't like stellar reviews. Like this must have been one of the lowest reviewed games we bought, and this was a time where like our games collection was basically dictated by whether or not it got a ninety plus in N sixty four. Right, right. Um, but you know, we liked F zero. Um, you know, we had an a, a sort of generic interest in Star Wars, which is why I think it ended up in the collection. Um, I remember playing a fair amount of this, but thinking it was kind of throwaway. There wasn't like a great deal to it. Um, like it, it didn't have the kind of like cat, like the character or the the, the pure kind of speed and excitement of F Zero X. Um, you know, multiplayer element of it. I mean, if it, it must have had multiplayer, 
surely. But like it didn't have any com like it like it didn't have any combat in it. You know, it was just sort of pure racing. So it was pretty kind of stripped back as a an actual racing game goes. So we didn't like properly fall in love with it. And to this day, I don't really know where it sits in people's affections. So that's why I asked. You know. Is it a guilty pleasure? I that was one. Admittedly, I thought, did it not even make the guilty pleasure list? Is it so? Is it actually considered so bad that <laughs> it isn't? You know, is it? But it's not. It's not like that fighting game. It's better than that. Well, no. I mean, this might surprise you, but this would make my best. That would make my list of the best Star Wars okay, games. Okay. Well, it, I, there we go. It I mean, wouldn't I, be I, high. I wouldn't, obje- I wouldn't object to that. Like, like I say, we played it and liked it plenty. Yeah, and it just got re-released on modern formats. Like, um, it got re-released. Basically, anything that came to PC, I think. Um, that Aspire developer will eventually put it on Switch and um, right. Xbox and PS4, which is which is cool. Um, I've not played the um, the Switch version, but I did pick it up in the um, the sale recently. So yeah, but like um, I was really fond of that game. Like, admittedly though, I never played F Zero X as a kid. Like, I didn't have an N sixty four. None of the friends I knew had F Zero actually. So that was um, more pity me. And I played this on PC, where I felt like it was a little bit of a technical powerhouse. It was just really, really fast and looked nice. Mm. You are right, it doesn't have loads to it. It's fairly easy to zip through the entire game. But I thought the handling was really good. I thought that, like, they correctly identified a type of Star Wars game to build from the very unusual film that they made with Episode One. Um, yeah. Like, and they matched it to a, a genre very, very well. Um so yeah, I, I did like it, Matthew. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's absolutely fine. I almost picked in the N64 draft, but only didn't because I already had Rogue Squadron and thought, well, I got yeah. this in the bag. I've picked the right one. But it turns out that uh, Indiana Jones, uh, more of a, an enticing pick. But we, of course, uh, yeah. Uh, N64 famously had the uh, unlockable mode where you could control uh, a single uh, pod racer, I guess, with uh, two controllers. Each controller, analog stick, controlling one of the engines. Really, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So you were like, it was basically like, yeah, like a simulation of pod racing. <laughs> so you, like, you'd have to, you'd pull back on one and push forward with the other to do turns and things wow. like that. Wow, that's really cool. I like that. That's, yeah, that's you nice. had to unlock it with a cheat, if I remember correctly. That's the maddest thing. Like that would be a back of the box feature for me. But... Yeah, for sure. That that requires so much effort to make. You would think they shout about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it leads us nicely, Matthew, into the next one on my list, which is um, Star Wars Racer Revenge on PS2. Yeah. Now, this is, like, in my opinion, a bit worse. Just a touch worse in every single way than the first one. Um, right. Like, it's it's fine. It, but it's by a different developer. It's by Angel... I think it's... Is it Angel Studios? No, it's Rainbow Studios, Rainbow, I think. Rainbow, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Angel Studios was um, Red Dead Redemption eventually. But yes... Um, uh, they basically are MX versus ATV devs. And so I think like the original was in made in-house at LucasArts and this one was obviously outsourced. Um, weirdly, it was out around like Attack of the Clones. So you race as adult Anakin Skywalker, the Hayden Christensen version, in Jake Lloyd's pod racer. So that's quite weird to start with. But the thing they do slightly differently is that it is more of a kind of combat game. Like not in a sort of like massively overt way but all of the um races have health bars and they're incredibly fragile it's a bit more like wipeout where like you basically ram people and try not to get rammed yourself or crash too often because it's real it's it's not a hard game but it's fairly you can quickly just get bashed too many times blow up and then you're out of the race and that's the other thing is you can take people out of the race by ramming them and so like the number of competitors will just go down and they won't respawn so that's kind of what's a bit different about it um and that that is like that is like a, a kind of notable and interesting difference it looks nice and fast for a ps2 game 
bit like rough around the edges in all the ways you'd expect. I personally think I personally prefer the racing style of um uh, episode one because it did have some drama like you couldn't hold down the boost button for too long without overheating and doing damage to your engines and stuff so you had to kind of maintain that there was an element of maintenance cooling off and um and then like hitting the boost again which i thought i thought was good it was almost like you were doing pit stops while you were while you right. were racing that's what i liked about episode one racer and this one's a bit more like oh if i can bash into them but oh shit i just hit a quarter three times and my left engine's gone and now i'm dead and like that's it's less it's less it has less kind of pull to me um mm. but i did want to put it on this list because i did like this little foray into racing games for star wars i didn't <laughs> think it was a total mess and it really could mm. have been it's weird it's actually kind of amazing that the the racing game has some kind of reputation to stick around and still be liked many decades later when it's yeah. based it's based on a film that no one likes you know so yeah but yeah. it's the sequence it's you know it's the one bit which is genuinely exciting and good in that film yeah absolutely so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm happy it's kind of got that reputation but i would save racer for um best star wars games okay. racer, racer revenge which you can play on ps4 or ps5 um or ps3 that's how i played it i apparently bought this years ago on ps3 so um <laughs> played that before this it's not it's um it's, it's all right it's not it's not too bad but i think the first one is still um still the classic personally can you um, name a single character in this game that isn't anakin or sebulba oh god uh gosh because i never get to them on the character select screen it's like <laughs> it's like i'll just play as anakin um who by the way in this game has like the worst hayden christensen sound alike imaginable um i just like the idea that the hayden christensen who is in this game or the the age of anakin skywalker is like when it's all going off the rails <laughs> and i like the idea that at the same time that he's like becoming incredibly morally compromised he's also going back and like picking up his old pod racing career <laughs> it is a daft daft story idea yeah it's like i'm just gonna murder all these sand people for killing my mother and have a little race and just see how that goes <laughs> as um, i'm as i'm back home meet up with the guys yeah, i'm going on a, i'm going on a 10 planet tour um with my pod racer just between jedi training um yeah uh, so why don't you just go and see his mother a couple of years before eh? she still would have been alive and we wouldn't have had to fucking put up with the uh the empire would we but um maybe well, that, that... Well, that would have just, that would have yeah removed the entire star wars <laughs> films franchise wouldn't exist yeah but you know uh, maybe that democracy would have cl- collapsed no matter what matthew oh, um, yeah. that's what george lucas is really interested in uh yawn <laughs> um <laughs> so um next up matthew i've put star wars jedi starfighter here a key thing for me with a lot of the star wars games i really liked is that I replayed them over and over again. So a lot of those classics I kind of mentioned earlier, your X-Wings and Jedi Knights and the like, I played them over and over again. And this one should have been a game I would love. But because it came out just months after Rogue Leader on GameCube, the the game I coveted more than anything else, Mm. this was very much like we've got Rogue Leader on PS2 at home vibes. Like, And this game was set during the prequel trilogy, so it has less pull. You... Play as a variety of characters. It's a sequel to Star Wars Starfire, which was an early PS2 PC game. And some of those characters repeat, but you're, you're primarily playing as Adi Gallia, who's like a Jedi knight, who she's testing out the Jedi Starfighter, the pointy fighter you see um, Obi-Wan uh, flying around in Attack of the Clones. And the big gimmick is the Starfighter can do 
Jedi powers. It's got like a shield you can activate with the Force. And the dumbest one, which is basically Force lightning from your spaceship, which never happens in the films. And like, that's what relegates it to guilty pleasure status here. I don't think it's got the replay pull of the Factor 5 games, which were very built around like score attacks and like getting the kind of medals up, getting your accuracy up Mm. and unlocking cool shit as a result. This just didn't have that same pull, but it was a, it was a fun seven six seven out of ten. I think got like eights at the time. It was liked well enough that um, I don't think it's held up super well. But wanted to note here. Do you ever play these, Matthew? Yeah, I, like I have some. I actually have some fondness for Starfighter. I don't know if I've even played Je- Jedi Starfighter. I get the two mixed up in my head. Um, when my brother Alex got a PS2 for Christmas, for some reason the game that came with it was the original Starfighter. And I think just the excitement of having a PS2 in the house kind of probably bumped that game up a little bit in my memory of how good it actually was. Um, Like, didn't look anywhere near as good um, as uh, Rogue Leader, but, like, you know, definitely the original Starfighter, like a very competent, like, dogfighting game, you know. Quite quite playable, quite easy to pick up, not not at all difficult. I mean, I I was always... um, scared off by the more kind of simmy pc star wars games so you know i i I have a big fondness for these arcade dogfighting kind of crimson skies type deals um yeah yeah. but a big big same for sure like i i had the same thing where i was i always found myself a little bit overwhelmed by the x-wing games so when i got rogue squadron on my pc in like 1998 or 9 i was like oh this is like spot on for me like yeah you know i'm on star wars planets there's like a story there's dialogue like it's it was a Mm. you know it's a bit they sugared the pill a little bit for flying a starfighter um this this just happens to be in the bottom half of quite a strong uh sort of like yeah yeah yeah. you're you're so well catered for and yeah it sounds like the the kookier jedi powers thing probably makes this one slightly more memorable yeah, a couple of like noble things for this. It's got one of the worst uh, Samuel L. Jackson impressions they you can ever <laughs> you can ever do. Like it sounds nothing like Mace Windu. <laughs> Just really, really off. Just like watch the start of the game on like YouTube or something. It's very, um, very bumpy time there. The cutscenes generally look terrible actually, but um, it is like way more story led actually than some of these other games. Like the the Rogue Squadron games aren't really story games in the same way. Like they've got voice acting and stuff, but they're a bit more rudimentary this has like proper kind of like cg cutscenes and stuff but it's quite goofy kind of fun it was actually written by hayden blackman who um would write the force oh. uh, force unleashed um so well, was it written by hayden blackman or was it written by hayden blackman successfully guessing what george lucas <laughs> was thinking <laughs> yeah uh so yeah it's um it's it's not bad it's another one you can play on ps4 as well on ps5 so it's like available but it also has like um cutscene outtakes basically so they made outtakes for the cutscenes which is quite a fun touch i mean they're not funny but they tried and i appreciate that so um my uh when we got his ps2 <laughs> he'll hate me for telling you this but i'll tell you anyway when he got his ps2 my brother wept with joy on christmas day like full <laughs> n64 kid um and I like that it was also for Starfighter. I like the idea that he wept for Starfighter. <laughs> Starfighter, which I think got 7 out of 10 in OPM at the time. But, um, we'll weep for 7 out of 10s. <laughs> Not a t-shirt. But these these both go in this list because neither would be anywhere near like the worst Star Wars games. But neither oh, would no. neither would get anywhere near the best. Because like, yeah. like I say, there's better competition. Um, <laughs> next up, <laughs> wept with joy. Oh. Uh, 
In fact, it's so sad it was so pre-smartphone age, there's no footage to sort of shame him with. Um, but, you know, yeah. you, can, you can still do it on this podcast. That's good. Um, okay, next up is uh, Rebel Assault 2, um, an old FMV game that um, ties very much into what I was saying earlier about me being a 90s Star Wars kid. So um, there was there were two Rebel Assault games. One was like earlier in the 90s, and Rebel Assault 2 would follow. The big difference was... Um, well, I think there might have been some kind of rotoscoping stuff in um, Rebel Assault 1 to kind of make the characters look sort of more human. It was pixelarty. Um mm. This one was full, like, live-action cutscenes and stuff. And then they would even go as far as superimposing live-action elements into the game itself. So all the shooting sequences are basically done as kind of like rudimentary sort of cover shooting. You pop out a cover, very light gun style, shoot a bunch of stormtroopers who are also like animated in live action and then the action would play out that way it is like not great um it's quite short but the context again is i was a 90s star wars kid this was original star wars content with live action elements in it in like a deprived mid 90s so yeah this seemed like a big deal i played it again this week the first one is borderline impossible to control like any 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 sequence in this in these games where you have to control a spaceship, you're like you're in for a rough time. Um, like I couldn't even get past the fucking Tatooine training level in the first one, <laughs> and I got the impression it was like uh, some a bunch of people on GOG's forum said the same thing, and I thought, okay, like I'm sure I could do this at the time. Um, mm. But Rebel Assault Two goes down a lot smoother. It's a lot easier. It only has one impossible level where you inexplicably steal the Millennium Falcon from um, inside an Imperial base. They never explain why you do that, um, <laughs> but but that happens. And it's about these kind of like um, basically these, these very these kind of like secret project Tie Fighters that are completely outfoxing the um, Rebel Alliance's fighters and what the kind of story is behind that. And the story features Darth Vader and stuff. It feels slightly bogus as a Star Wars story, but a guilty pleasure because, like I say, at a time where there was no Star Wars stuff, this was uh, inspired by the original trilogy thing. Like it's kind of it go trying tries to mimic the fun dialogue. It tries to be a bit more sort of you know comedy dialogue first about things and less mm. of the serious boring bullshit of the prequels. So yeah, it came out on PS One as well as PC. Do you ever play this one, Matthew? No, I watched a little bit of it uh, at lunch today, and I think it opens with like Darth Vader, right? Yeah, that's right. Quite a bad sound alike. Yeah, but even so, like it's it's the thing. It's the helmet. It's the design of it. And I could imagine, like, if you were super into Star Wars, you'd be like, "Holy shit! Like, this is another Star Wars film happening in my PC." I can imagine <laughs> that. I can imagine that being quite a like feeling super authentic and like the real deal. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the actual gameplay looked kind of kind of comic comically naff but, um, you know <laughs> the the best thing uh, spaceship shooting is the best thing it does like it's kind of on rails arcade style shooting um the of the on foot stuff is bad um like i say actually controlling a ship is really hard but the um just shooting things in a spaceship they do pretty well um and like a lot of the a lot of these games actually do try and like mimic the beats of a star wars film so this this has like the um a kind of Death Star style sequence where you're flying in the interior of a spaceship to blow something up. It has like uh, escaping out of a tunnel in a Millennium Falcon, a bit like that big worm thing in Empire Strikes Back. It has the asteroid field sequence, uh, even with the John Williams music to kind of mimic that from the Empire Strikes Back. So it tries to tick as many boxes as possible while telling um, 
uh, an original quote unquote Star Wars story that features some um, quite quite bad uh, live action actors. So, um, hmm. do you get yeah. to romance a family member? <laughs> no, that doesn't get. I mean, like, not that I remember. I only played through like seven of the uh, fifteen or so levels for this episode, Matthew, a, But you have to give you have to give your uncle a very erotically charged back rub. <laughs> <at one point. laughs> there you go. Nice cursed element to introduce uh, to the episode. There. Um, okay, so we come to my favourite of all of these games. Oh, okay. Shadows of the Empire on N sixty four and PC. Now. <laughs> This is a game I was obsessed with as a young man. Um, it had everything I wanted from Star Wars. It had a duel with Boba Fett in like this quite spooky valley. And then <laughs> when you beat Boba Fett, he got in his spaceship and you had to fight the spaceship. I fucking love oh. that. Um, it had, uh, like I say, it, it, it did a similar thing to Rebel Assault where it was like, we start you on the Battle of Hoth. We know that you want to see that in a game, so here it is. Your main character inexplicably was there during the Battle of Hoth, not seen in the film, but he was there, apparently. <laughs> and so you get to take down an ATAT with the uh, the old harpoon and tow cable. Um, you get to escape uh, the um, Echo Base on Hoth, like um, like Han Solo and Princess Leia do. Um, you get to encounter Wumper Ice creatures, all that stuff. And then you get to do the asteroid sequence um, as well. So you basically get all of the opening beats from um, Empire Strikes Back are the start of this game. And then it kind of goes off in its own tangent a little bit. Now, this came as part of like a multimedia project at at, at Lucasfilm. I believe it was like pitched as a film, a movie without a movie. So they did like a book, a comic with Dark Horse, and then like a game. The game was kind of the centerpiece of it. And then they do like a load of toys as well. So it was like, it was basically a a thing that happened because some licensors all had a meeting at like Lucasfilm or something. So it was very cynical in that respect. But actual Lucasfilm bods went off and built the story for it. So did you have much experience with this one, Matthew? No. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we knew anyone who had this at the time. Like I've, I've since, I don't know if I've ever even played it to be honest, but I've, I've, you know, I've, I've watched enough of this. At the time, you know, early N64, N64 games being incredibly expensive, the idea that you would, you know, waste a birthday or Christmas wish or a huge amount of pocket money on one of the one of the what was one of the lesser rated games at the time mm. uh in n64 anyway seemed preposterous i always thought this looked dire in screenshots <laughs> it, was, it was so foggy i mean you know this and turok were just like too really bad for it it just looked so rancid um and the idea that you would like get this over i mean really it just didn't make any sense um <laughs> And I didn't know anyone who was into like Star Wars enough to like waste waste a, a, a part of your game collection on this. Okay, um, so uh, to the listeners at home, that is the most sensible thing that's been said on this podcast so far. Um, <laughs> like, you should learn by now that you cannot trust me on this stuff. Um, I'm very much in my own sort of weird culty domain with this sort of thing. Matthew is the voice of reason here. He's completely right. Nothing he has said is wrong. Um, <laughs> I like that you described fighting Boba Fett in a spooky valley, and it's like, it's what makes it spooky, the fact that you can't see beyond five fucking feet because of all the fog. It's a bit like that, yeah. You're in, like this, you're in this sort of, you're flying, you get, you get a jetpack in that level, and you're flying between these, like, spires, basically. And, like, 
don't there is a quite a weird quiet atmosphere to it but it could just be because they couldn't portray much shit on screen um, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that could be what happened this is like a super early 3d game like um yeah even the design of the main character dash rendar was built around the limitations of the n64 i believe so he's got that big metal ammo thing that chewbacca has sort of on both shoulders like he's just a big chunky man um made of about like 10 polygons so <laughs> tough break for him but um yeah it Quick was drop a moon on him <laughs> uh but yeah again i have to like make the point that like at the time this was a game that was saying this story is set between empire strikes back and return of the jedi there's a mm. load of stuff that happens in that time period you don't really know about like you don't know what happens to luke all that stuff this kind of connects the dots by saying like you have to at one point go and save luke from these assassins during this kind of like basically a speeder bike chase and mm. when you get to it's on tatooine you get to um uh, obi-wan's house where luke is building a new lightsaber and like um there's a cutscene where your main character meets luke in the game and i thought that was pretty cool but then you read the book and it's like oh yeah like this is where luke built his lightsaber that you see in return of the jedi and where he's kind of like basically training to for the final battle with darth vader and stuff and so on that level i think it it was just very appealing to me like i don't think it's super sophisticated as a bit of canon goes but like yeah as a as a start again a star wars something that had a bit of money behind it that felt almost like a film enough like where i was willing to fill in the gaps in my imagination Mm. um this is like a better version of rebel assault really where it's kind of like it's like a, a scattergun mini game approach to making a Star Wars game. Right. They're like, we're going to do the spaceship sequence. We're going to do the on foot uh, vehicle sequence. We're going to do third person shooting. This tries to do it all. It does none of it well, really. But it's got big Final Fantasy Chronicles crystal bearers in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and just like that, it's a four out of ten. No, it's not really. <laughs> Um, I, I listen. I do love. I love games which try to be everything all at once. Like I'm very fond of that quite small genre of just like <laughs> let's do it, let's do everything, and um, you know, hope you land some of it. I, the one thing I will say from like what I remember of like reading magazines and stuff was like the Hoth stuff looked amazing, and you know, using the tow cables to bring down um, the big boys and all that stuff is that's that's looks really cool like I, I i probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that in this and that in rogue squadron um yeah on in 64 i mean they like if the whole game had been that they kind of missed the tr- trick not doing that yeah it almost feels like they started with this level and they were like well this is what we'll sell it with like it's you know we're doing this battle super well yeah and like it does do it better than rogue squadron does it it doesn't do it better than rogue leader because rogue leader looks lo- loads better but i'll tell you what it does do the tow cable stuff better than any of the vat 5 games do because it's borderline impossible to do in those games like without crashing into something oh it's really stressful the second you do it you're like oh fuck i'm gonna <laughs> fuck it up the whole time you're like shit rather than like this is amazing i'm such a badass you're like oh fuck i hope i don't go too far away and the cable disconnects <laughs> yeah because you only get a finite number of them and shit and it's like yeah, yeah. like that that is chaos that that made that 
Corellia level in Rogue Squadron an absolute fucking nightmare because <laughs> halfway through the level an ATAP turns up and it's walking right next to a hill so you can easily just like fucking lose control of it. The 3D camera just basically like pulls out super isometric and you you it basically feels like your handlebars have come off and the whole <laughs> and the slow speed is just like fucking floating around so oh yeah that by comparison this is like arcadey but it works really well you get you you have to pick the right moment to shoot it when you do you can guide it in a way that feels really satisfying so i think you're right like this is still probably not visually my favorite portrayal of the battle of hoth but probably the best one in terms of like gameplay um, mm-hmm. So it does that super well, um, but the third person, the third person shooting is quite rough. But um, has some interesting levels. Like um, there is quite a cool sewer level that ends with a battle against a giant Dianoga, and you have to go into this green water and fight it. And it's quite, quite, it seemed quite spooky at the time. I was quite into it. So <laughs> quite spooky. <laughs> well, well, it just seemed to to me at like ten fighting this under underwater monster. There's this horrible great noise that um, that goes off when the water starts rising. And then you see this thing just floating there in this misty green water. It's quite nasty. But this is a game I'm obsessed with. I last completed it three years ago. This is like one of the only games where I'm like, the critics are fucking wrong. There is something about this game that is pure magic to me. And it must just be because I was a 90s Star Wars fan and this hit me at the right moment. (sighs) Sorry about that, Is that, would you say, is that the ultimate 90s Star Wars artifact? Yeah, because it's got everything, right? Like, the main character is like a knockoff Han Solo. And that he feels like a kind of... He's meant to be a more badass Han Solo. That was kind of like what they were going for with him. And that itself feels quite 90s. It's like that whole Mm. sort of like Venom Spider-Man thing where everything's a bit more badass and it's just (laughs) but but implausible. Um, Like, yeah, it's, it's... it is because it's such an early 3D game that almost none of the rules of how 3D games have been worked out yet. It's worse at almost everything than other games. It was an, <laughs> N6- an N64 launch game in North America, I believe. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is, but it doesn't really. Rep- it's not really like the best avatar for Star Wars games in the 90s. I would say that Jedi Knight is or um, Tie Fighter is. Those are like the gold standard Star Wars games. Yeah. This is like this is a gold standard for like. Yeah, like just as a product of its time, this is not a timeless game. That's fair to say. Um, Jesus, I talked about that for a long time, didn't I? So I hope the listeners weren't bored. Oh, by that's great. Oh, it's, it's nice to. <laughs> you know, we finally discovered your Ace Attorney, and it is five out of ten Star Wars games from the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> Shameful, isn't it? Um, so we've got three more here, Matthew. Next up is Star Wars Battlefront Two, the EA one. Now, okay, I put the I put this in here because I wanted to like. Highlight the campaign as something that was a really like nice looking bit of Star Wars. Like gives you um some fairly solid single player shooter levels. Does the um does the Battle of Jakku, which um when you see Rey in the Force Awakens um riding a little bike thing from Sable <laughs> around um around that <laughs> desert planet and there's a downed Star Destroyer, it basically shows you that that battle. You are you participate that in the game. Um it goes in here because it's 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 a bit too short. And it does what the Force Unleashed does. Like, it promises to give you, you play as the bad guys. And then kind of almost backs out of it almost immediately. And it's like, well, actually, they discover pretty on they're committing atrocities and they're going to join the Rebel Alliance. And it's like, uh, I just, I don't know, commit to making a 
Star Wars game about dickheads. Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point mm. when you sign up to the fucking Imperial Army, you're like, oh, I think these guys might not be okay. Like, when they killed all the Jedi. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, I think the problem with making a game about dickheads in in quite a uh, uh, you know in in a, in a fiction which doesn't really have a lot of shades of grey is just it will inevitably end with you just have die at the end. You get killed at the end. You know, because it it, that's how the rules of Star Wars works. The good guys win. And you play as a bad guy and then you get shot and all chopped up by a lightsaber and it'd probably be quite <laughs> unsatisfying. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't but, know. I just don't know if this universe has got like like the moral spectrum to be to do interesting storytelling like that. Maybe that's we should litigate that on the, the Star Wars XXL, but uh, Kotor two fans would disagree, Matthew. Oh um, of course, Kotor yeah. Yeah. But um no, it's a it's a it's a fair point. And like, um, I think even in Jedi Knight, when you turn evil, you don't die at the end. You just become like a Darth Vader style figure who basically rules like a reign of terror over the galaxy. Um, Sweet. Yeah, that's quite cool, isn't it? So that's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's like a choice you make as a player. Whereas here it's obviously all scripted. Um, it was written by, I think, like Walt Williams, who did Spec Ops The Line. So, you know, if you go in there expecting Spec Ops The Line with Star Wars, obviously it's not going to be that. Um, but You're it's not some... dropping freaking napalm on Wookiees or whatever. <laughs> But I quite I quite like the main character Aiden Versio. I thought the uh, the actress who plays her did a pretty good job. Um, my sort of like the guilty pleasure element of it to me is it finds loads of like quite bogus ways to bring other Star Wars characters into it. So you've got like right. <laughs> you've got inexplicably there's a sequence where Han Solo's at that bar where uh, Lupita Nyong'o's alien character is in um, right. the Force Awakens, and he he's just there for a drink or whatever, and then like gets attacked by some Tie Fighters, and that's like a level. There's a level where like Lando Calrissian's in a walker in some mines or something that was kind of baffling. <laughs> like it's telling a coherent story with its cast of characters. Then it's like we need to have Luke Skywalker fight some bugs for ten minutes, and like it it's flawed. <laughs> like, that's got that's got like that's got Yakuza sub story energy, where it's like uh, we've got a character model of a lion from left over from a boss. It's like, oh great, a lion's escaped in the middle of this city, and he'll, he'll kick the shit out of it. And they're like, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> It's tough, though, because there are some things I really like about it. I think some of the writing is really good. Like, where they do, aside from when Luke Skywalker is battering some bugs, which is silly, like, the dialogue with Luke is really nicely done. Like, a well-judged sort of version of Luke. And, like I said, I do like like the sort of main character, but I think it should have just focused on one quite nasty campaign about the bad guys. As it stands, this is a perfectly good, like install it on game pass blast through the campaign kind of game um mm. have a like have a six or seven out of ten time you'll you'll be well on your way it's all good um so yeah it's a guilty pleasure but the, the main the main multiplayer stuff i don't think this is a best in class shooter either whenever i've played it it's a bit i don't like all of the card stuff i find it a bit yeah. like a bit incoherent um do you ever play this that, one no but i know that that uh, dan dawkins previous guest on this podcast was like obsessed with this game right this, like, yeah, there's, there's a few tired dads. Like, hun- like I think he's played hundreds of hours of it. Yeah, there's a few tired dads on Twitter I know who play this and enjoy this. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's a good tired it's dad gotta, game. It's got to have something. Um, I just don't have a space in my life for, uh, you know, just a big ongoing online multiplayer shooter. I just, just not really what I play, so I kind of ignored this. Um, I haven't actually played the campaign, so I should do that. Uh, no, you shouldn't. You don't need to play the campaign, Matthew. If you like Star Wars more, I would say you should, but... It's like, you know, you kind of... I guess I went to, into it wanting a Titanfall 2 quality campaign, and it's not right. It's not that, but it's it's all right. It's okay. 
And like Battlefront 2 as an overall package is a good guilty pleasure, I think. It's like the most visually spectacular Star Wars thing there is still. Um, and probably will remain so for quite a few years. So, uh, yeah, Battlefront 2, it's um, the EA one. That's um, yeah. it's, uh, Dice, it's a lot. Dice Nail, yet another perfectly fine campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just have yourself a, a lovely little slice of Star Wars and get on with your day because um, that's, that's all you need to do. Um, okay, next up, Matthew, is Star Wars Battle for Naboo. Now... This was another. This is a very late N sixty four game. This um, mm-hmm. another Factor Five game, basically like another Rogue Squadron game, um, but it's not quite as good. It goes into the guilty pleasure category, unlike all the other Factor Five games. Well, actually, no, there's one more on this list, isn't there? But we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> it, it goes on this list because it's based on Episode One, so you have the like the the come down of like the setting is more boring. You don't have X wings and Tie fighters in it. Um, too much grass yeah i'm not massively into like uh, i don't actually the naboo starfighter in episode one is a a slightly better ship design than some of the other stuff they did in the prequels which i think looked a bit shit like the proto x-wings and tie fighters mostly look quite bad um but i thought that like naboo one like is that that yellow thing yeah that's cool that's a cool ship design right like um doug chang i think um designed that and uh it looks fantastic so yeah, and I think um, what I liked about this game is it it did try and do like ground combat stuff um, with like some of the Naboo vehicles. It's not as good as like just playing Rogue Squadron where you're just in spaceships all the time. It strains a little bit to work around the restrictions of Episode One in terms of setting and set pieces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just want more Rogue Squadron, it is basically that. The other problem I had with it at the time was. It came out in, like, on PC, it came out in, like, spring 2001. Now, you are just months away from Rogue Leader coming out on GameCube. So, almost immediately, this seems like old hat, and it's not based on the films you like. So, I feel like yeah. this game this game is not on GOG. I think it was kind of forgotten. Did you ever cross paths with this, Matthew? Uh, we, we didn't buy it um, because no interest in the Episode 1 stuff, really. Um, <laughs> also... Yeah, like too too late in the day. Absolutely mad that this came out as close as it did. Um, even on N64, you know, the, the, the time difference of whatever, like 18 months later, like the jump that you got with Rogue Leader was just absurd. I mean, um, yeah. yeah, just I, I, I just the aesthetic of episode one just doesn't do it for me with all the green and the, 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 the even the sh- you know, outside of that one ship design. I think you're right sticks in your mind like i couldn't draw any ship from this from this those films like i couldn't even draw an outline of them i had no idea what was going on um something something you try and do is like you can you sort of fly into a hangar then you switch vehicles so like mid-mission so they try to do that to kind of keep it interesting but again being on the ground in these games just isn't as fun as being in the skies um Mm. the other thing it does quite well it has a, a pretty good rendition of the um battle for naboo at the end so like the proper like um, fight with the Death Starry style thing where Anakin Skywalker blows up the ship like that. That space set piece has quite a nice sense of scale to it. Like um, the Rogue Leader and Rogue Squadron games too. This has unlockable levels, and one of them is you flying one level where you have to kill Darth Maul on Coruscant. That's pretty cool. And then another level where you play as Darth Maul and basically just have to murder a load of like Naboo people. That's quite nice. Um, those are really <laughs> fucking hard to unlock, but on PC I just used uh, a cheat code to get those. But um, nice. again, so they always do fucking good bonus levels in um, the Fat 5 games. So um, yeah, another shout out here. Um, final game, Matthew. 
Rogue Leader 2 Rebel Strike. Now, I'm sure you played this at the time because you yeah. had Rogue Leader. So why don't you kick off with telling me how you felt about this? So if I remember correctly, this sort of like... Uh, I think the kind of... Wasn't the pitch of this that it was kind of like all the bits of, sort of Star Wars that you didn't sort of get to do in Rogue Leader 1, you got to do in this. But unfortunately, that meant a lot of like on-foot stuff. They added on-foot sections. Um... And I don't really remember the balance of the levels. Like, maybe there were only, like, three on-foot sections and, like, ten flying levels. But in my head, I hated the on-foot stuff so much that, that it, you know, it blots out a lot of memories. Like, I couldn't really tell you what I did like about this game, even though the dogfighting stuff, I think, was fine. Um, the on-foot stuff was, like, what happens if we try and make a third-person like corridor shooter but in like an engine that's designed for aerial dogfighting <laughs> and the character didn't handle like a spaceship but it definitely didn't handle like anything approximating a human yeah. um it was just the controls on the ground were so f like fucking weird like there's sections of this game where the camera is like tracking you as you go down a corridor and you're doing shooting. It's all like weird lock-on shooting, which is like nod one to the fact that this game hasn't really got an aiming system. They haven't really worked out what to do with that. <laughs> but then there are other rooms you'd enter and all of a sudden the camera would stop and it almost became like a Resident Evil locked camera and your character's then moving completely differently in the 3D space. This game is like crazy messy <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and beautiful, but mostly fucked. <laughs> Yeah, that's this is actually borderline for this list because I think the on foot bits are so bad they almost like pull it down into the worst <laughs> Star Wars game tier. Um, but the thing is, they they do it does coexist with like what are basically like half formed Rogue Leader levels, right? Like it's like yeah, bits of what you love about Rogue Leader are in here. But my memory of it, Matthew, is that it transitions between on foot and vehicles, so it's doing both within each level. Um, that's right. what I remember of it, but I've not played this one since it, 2008, so it's been a while. Yeah, it it has two campaigns. There's like Luke Skywalker and Wedge, and yeah. I think the Wedge campaign, which you branch into, is a lot more flying-based, and mm. then the Luke stuff is a lot more like the set pieces from the films. There's a terrible level in this where you, trade, you train with Yoda in a swamp. Um, oh, that's definitely in there, and it blows. There's also some like speeder bike stuff, which is really pretty because it's just like what at the time looked like a photorealistic version of those levels mm. ripping past an amazing speed. But I think we're also like nigh on unplayable control wise. Um, very odd. Like, I don't know if they just got sick of it and were just like, fuck it, let's just get it done, get it out there or whatever. <laughs> but um, I think Rogue's, Rogue um, Leader 1 was just so absolutely amazing. Um yeah, you know, I bought this. You know, I, I put. Even, even, I, I just couldn't not buy this. I liked the first one so much, um, mainly the graphics, and I still think this is a great looking game. Um, but yeah. it's just it's bizar it is bizarrely like broken in so many ways. Yeah, whatever the fuck Factor Five were doing on the GameCube to like get those ship engines looking like that, to get them lit like that. And the yeah. overall lighting of the different planets and ships and so, and like the textures, like whatever the fuck they were doing, it was like dark magic. Like I just uh, that game has aged incredibly well, Rogue Leader visually, and um, so has like this one looked, visually. It, but yeah, 
it makes you think the GameCube is more powerful than it is. Like, yeah. it, it, it's like legitimately up there with like what Xbox was doing. I think that generation. You're like that is one of the best looking games of the generation. Like, yeah, hands down. Yeah, and absolutely. Top five. For yeah, sure. whatever they were tapping into. God knows. Well, I the mean, game, that, the Death Star in that first one was just like holy shit. Like, how is not everyone bought a GameCube? This looks so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like the way that like the Battle of Endor looked as well. And it's like, oh, the the ships actually feel like they're moving towards me. And I feel like I'm in this film in a way I never thought I'd see. And again, like this was just like three years after Rogue Squadron came out. Like that, prog- <laughs> that progression was crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I I was completely with you. So yeah, I mean, I played this. I came to this one later on. Uh, rebel strike and it was that thing of well yeah i mean it's expanded and on foot section sounded good in principle but they just simply do not work like you say the it, it doesn't there's no other third person shooter that's like this um yeah. it really does feel broken like you say so it's pretty yeah very odd it's mm. like if you just put a like if you put like just a third person character into like forza horizon or something <laughs> it's 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 like that mismatched it's kind of like what happens if you're like well this world's really pretty so I, so i would just like to see it from a different non-vehicle perspective it's you couldn't just do it you'd have to like you have to like new you know finesse it <laughs> and there's no finessing here it's really odd it's a yeah. super strange game but also quite an interesting artifact like i didn't regret like buying it i don't you know at the time i was like yikes a lot of this is a mess but um yeah i still you know liked the prettiness of it and i think it's still like reviewed okay and i think ngc still got behind it well you know like again it'd be it would feel like looking at gift horse in the mouth a little bit wouldn't it but like um especially on gamecube when there were so few things around um but yeah no i'm with you that's why i kind of crawls into this list it's like well Guilty Pleasure is right because there are bits of the game that work really well and then there's like one bit of the game that works terribly. So like uh, they cancel each other out to a, a game that must be on this list essentially. Um, yeah. Did you ever play did, it in co-op, Matthew? Did it have, didn't it have the whole of re- the first game in it? Yeah, I think like at least like the vast majority of the game. Yeah, it was like, yeah, but retrofitted so how could, you could have two players in it. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I... Did we play this co-op? Probably not massive. I, it doesn't doesn't jump out as a memory, but I remember yes, it having like a large chunk of the original game as an as a bonus mode, mm. which is like there's at least a good rogue leader in Rogue Leader Two. Um, it just isn't Rogue Leader Two. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So that's um yeah that's uh that's that's the last one that I wanted to put on the list, Matthew. But like um I kind of weird little collection of artifacts there. But yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I needed to talk about these in order to tell the full story of like my experience with Star Wars games, <laughs> which will definitely shape what the best Star Wars games are when we do that later this year. So any closing <laughs> thoughts on all that, Matthew? Uh I think you secretly wanted to put Shadows of the Empire in the best Star Wars list, but <laughs> Yeah. You are right. You are like right. That's the thing, you are correct, sir. You are actually correct and when i said <laughs> I, at the think start, sacri- I think you've sacrificed one of your very cherished memories there for, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sake of reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, that's it but i i know it's not acceptable i know you can't put that game like next to a kotor and be like these are the same i just you gotta you gotta, <laughs> you gotta draw the line somewhere so um yeah i think this i think this works though as kind of star wars like i say languishes in between like make it getting your hopes up making you think oh maybe star wars is good again with like the mandalorian seasons one and two 
it will or, or the last jedi or the force awakens it will just turn around and shit the bed with a rise of skywalker <laughs> or a book of boba fett and you're back at square one and like that is the eternal journey with star wars that we're on basically it's like it will never get to the heights you truly want it to or at least it'll feel like it is and then it'll all f- come tumbling down again star wars always breaks your heart eventually that's my um my sort of overarching theory with this matthew so we come to the end of the episode matthew Thank you for tolerating me talking about this bullshit. Oh, I've loved it. This, is, this has been like such a fun trip into into the psyche of, of uh, Samuel Roberts. That's good. And next week we'll be doing a whole episode on uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, the Crystal Bearers. So you can look forward to that. Um, <laughs> shall we reveal our guests for next week, Matthew? Get people excited about that. That, well, that might yeah. be a cool thing to do. So... Yeah, do you want to talk about talk about that? Yeah, we've uh, yeah next week we're talking to a former official PlayStation uh, man and current PC gamer uh, head honcho uh, Tim Clark, um, another a big big future name from the time when we were there. Um, uh, yeah, we we've already recorded the episode. We had a really really good chat with Tim. Like he's got some very different stories to us. A couple of absolutely killer anecdotes. A great Kojima story. <laughs> Uh, to add to this i think if you like like the dan dawkins episode covering a very similar kind of period to that uh, but from the official perspective and tim's like super funny super sharp like really interesting career really interesting background um yeah i think you're really going to enjoy it that's cool yeah and so um for listeners as well who you might want to know this um because we often get asked, oh, well, why don't you do more Sega episodes? And it's true that me and Matthew are just not massive Sega pods. And we thought, we gave you a Sonic episode. What more do you want from us? But um, <laughs> uh, we have a returning guest. I won't say who, just in case it doesn't uh, work out. But we have a returning guest coming on in June to talk about the Dreamcast. So we'll have, like, maybe a top five or a top ten Dreamcast games. But, like, um, definitely some Dreamcast love from a returning guest. So look forward to that next month. Mm. Um, at the same time, Matthew, people have been voting on our Patreon. We put up a poll for the next draft episode overwhelmingly people want a 90s pc games uh draft from us matthew how are you feeling about that uh okay i mean like you know i've got a pretty pretty niche collection from the time but i, I feel like i i can i can hold my own yep so you got um basically 10 command and conquers versus 10 monkey islands who will win that's, <laughs> that's essentially what's gonna happen i think but that should be good um so matthew where can people find you on social media uh, Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts um, on Twitter. If you'd like to follow the podcast, Backpage Pod, uh, you can tweet us there if you'd like to. Um, you can also send us emails at backpagegames at gmail.com um, for our end of month uh, mailbag episode. Um, mailbag slash what we've been playing episode. Um, and also there is the Discord. You can see the link to that on Twitter. And as I say, patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, if you like what we make, you can go and uh, do that. But there's no pressure from us. Only do it if you can afford it, please. Um, The billing cycle starts the first of each month. So um, I recommend signing up near the start of the month rather than the end so you're not billed twice in quick succession. It's that hot billing cycle chat to end the episode. (laughs) Yeah, very exciting, isn't it? Um, But thank you very much for listening. I'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.